Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading uh, from verse 19 to verse 22. This is God's holy word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Heavenly Father, would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight through your mighty word and by the power of your spirit, show us Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a secret to tell you and this might come as a surprise. But one of my favorite movies is the legendary Nacho Libre. And I don't even know, if you've not seen it, I don't even know if I should recommend that to you. Uh, but Nacho Libre is actually based on a true story of uh, this priest who serves at an orphanage in Mexico and had a secret passion for luchadores, which is the pro wrestling with the masks on. And, and what this guy, Nacho, used to do is he would, you know, secretly go out and do pro wrestling with the mask on in order to earn funds to better support the orphans and to give them a good diet. And, and these orphans begin to pick up on this you know, secret love for wrestling. And there's one scene where he comes back to the orphanage and the orphans are wrestling with one another. And the nun is trying to stop them and, and you know, the nun asks for his help and he stops them from wrestling. And, and then he gives them a little lecture. He says, orphans, orphans, listen to me. You must not wrestle because it is written in the Bible not to wrestle your neighbor. And we've all had that experience, haven't we? If someone comes and tells you that you must believe something or that you must do something and they'll say, well, it's written in the Bible that you've got to do that. Well, you, know, you know, it's a good impulse for us to make sure that before we believe or do anything that it is, in fact, written in the Bible. That it's true. Because you see, as evangelicals, we believe that the Bible is our final authority, right? This is uh, sufficient for all of life and godliness, that we ought not to believe anything, and no one dare tell you to do anything if it is not biblical. And so sometimes when I tell you or our pastors talk to you and say, you should become a member of the church, People think that what we're doing is kind of like our friend Nacho, right? Where we're making something up that's really a man-made structure, and we're saying you should do this because it's in the Bible or it's biblical. And you wonder, really, is that really there? Is church membership biblical? Well, my goal this morning, dear friends, as we continue our series on Rediscovering Church is that you would not only see that church membership in the local church is a clear command of God in Scripture, but also 
that we would come to love and embrace church membership as a gift of God, as a grace from God for our good and something that's essential to our growth as disciples of Jesus. So we're going to look at several different passages in the scriptures today. Uh, if you're uh, wanting to follow along with the outline, it's there for you on page 10 of your bulletin. I've given you the entire outline for today's sermon as it's quite uh, detailed and involved. And let's begin, I mean, what we talked about the last two weeks, a couple of weeks ago. I gave you a definition for the local church. And I said, a local church is a congregation of baptized believers who are in a covenant relationship with one another to gather together regularly under the right preaching of God's word, to affirm one another's faith through the right practice of the ordinances or sacraments, and to live together as the body of Christ. So really today we're looking at the second part, second phrase, line in that definition, which is that these are believers in a covenant relationship with one another. In fact, that's my definition of church membership. It's a covenant commitment between believers to obey Christ's commands together. And what I want to show you this morning is that that definition, that understanding of local church membership is actually everywhere in the Bible, everywhere in the New Testament. And we'll look at four arguments that show us that. But before we look at the biblical arguments for church membership, I want us to consider four unbiblical ways that people think about or even practice church membership, four unbiblical concepts of church membership. Sadly, these are very common, even in evangelical churches and around the world, these ways of thinking about church membership. And it is possible that you have joined ECC, dear friend, at some point in your life, brother, sister, and you're currently a member here, and maybe you unknowingly have viewed your membership in the body of Christ in one of these ways. So here's four unbiblical concepts of church membership. The first one is sentimental. Sentimental church membership. And this is a way of thinking about church membership as simply a sentimental attachment uh, to a particular church. Maybe it's a church that you grew up in, or a church where you came to saving faith in Christ, or the church where you experienced a great season of spiritual growth, had a great spiritual experience there. And then there's the sentimental attachment to that particular church, and you think, well, I'm a member of that church for life. I mean, I want to say, first of all, there's nothing wrong in having a special affection in your heart for the church in which God saved you or a church where you experience great spiritual growth. I, I have this myself. I, I think of the first preacher whom I sat under, Pastor Ryan Fullerton, the first expository preacher of God's word under whom I sat. And I, I just have this special affection of this man who preached God's word to me and who modeled Christ-likeness to me in a way that I've never seen. Uh, I, I remember uh, this past summer, Nishika and I were in that city. We were driving around and we were driving past the old church building where that church used to meet, where we grew so much as Christians, uh, where I was first ordained as an elder. And they're not even using that building anymore. The church now meets somewhere else. But even as we drove past, uh, tears began to stream down our faces just out of the love for that congregation and, and how God shaped us through our time with those saints in that building. 
There's nothing wrong with that affection. However, you are no longer a part of that congregation, right? Uh, God has, in His providence, moved you somewhere else to journey with other saints in a different context. You never gather with them anymore. You're not sitting under the preaching of the word there. You're not living the Christian life with them anymore. And so this sentimental attachment is not church membership and cannot be. You're not a member in any functional sense. That's the first uh, unbiblical concept of church membership. Uh, A second one, unfortunately, is not like it. It is actually very bad. And this is political church membership. Political church membership. And political church membership takes place very sadly where a church becomes like the world. And the church begins functioning, functioning like some kind of an organization or a business uh, or a society with politics and power play and, and different groups and factions that are vying for power and, and leaders or a board or elders who are self-serving and, and want their, to serve and put forward their own agenda. And, and often in, in such kind of churches, uh, you know, people are pressed into membership uh, in order to canvass for votes uh, for a particular cause. And, and the board of that church or the elders of that church will start campaigning and seeking to draw people into membership. And it's all because we want to drive this agenda and they want them to vote for something. That's political church membership. And friends, it is worldly and sad when the church begins to look like that, like an organization that's driving its own agenda. Uh, The third unbiblical concept of church membership is what I would call metrical or metric-based. We've seen sentimental, political. The third one is metrical. And in this form of church membership, they don't really emphasize how becoming a member of the church affects your relationships with other people. Instead, membership is used mainly as some kind of a measurement or measuring principle. A a way for leaders to measure success and growth. How many members do we have in the church? How many members did we add last year? Is Is the trend upward or downward? This is a way that they want to know who the prospective financial supporters are. Or or who the prospective volunteers for the ministries are. And then you begin to look at metrics and ask questions like, well, what percentage of the church is giving? Or what percentage of the church is doing this? Or what percentage of the church is participating in these programs? Uh, Some people, in this context, sometimes people think, well, you know, the reason why churches would practice church membership is because we're capturing metrics of all the people who are members and then reporting those to the government of, uh, you know, here are the people who are attending the church. And that's also unbiblical, and I would say an incorrect way of thinking of church membership or practicing it. And then the final way, this is probably the most common, what most of you are accustomed to, is what I call membership as pathway. Membership as pathway. So, you know, you're, you're a Christian, you start attending a church, you, you have this desire and right desire to want to serve the Lord, to want to serve in ministry, to want to serve others. And the church says, well, we need to do some vetting before you serve in ministry. And so membership becomes some kind of a pathway into the ministries and programs and service in the church. And it becomes this means by which we recruit more volunteers to make the ministry run better. But you notice what's missing there? 
Nothing is said about relationships or commitment or responsibility or authority. And so friends, those are four non-biblical concepts of church membership. I want you to know that those are not biblical ideas. They are not biblical practices. And those four ideas are not why we believe or encourage or practice church membership here at ECC. They are certainly not the reason why I emphasize church membership. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've been a member for a while at our church. And, uh, uh, you know, somehow you joined and became a member or you've been living as a member and really you've been unknowingly, unthinkingly assuming one of these categories of church membership in your mind and really living like that way. Well, if that's you, dear brother or sister, uh, please stay with me for the rest of the sermon. Give attention to what we'll look at next. And hopefully, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will reframe your mind and your heart and your thinking uh, to more conform to God's word and what his word says about membership. Maybe you're here and you've been resisting or hesitant with church membership. Uh, you've been attending ECC, let's say, for years, and you've been hesitant to become a member because you've wondered if it is one of those things that we're doing. And if that's you, then I completely understand. If I were in your shoes, and I thought that that's what a church is doing with church membership, I would resist membership too. I reject those kinds of ideas about membership as well. Now we get all sorts of ideas in our minds about the idea of church membership, don't we? Some people think it's, it's something traditional, it's something old-fashioned, maybe it's something only for the Western churches to practice. Well, what we want to look at this morning, and I ask you to give me a hearing, is that I want to show you that the kind of membership that we are defining and describing and calling you to is something that's everywhere in the New Testament. Kids, this is why you should care about church membership. Parents, when you're sending your kids off to college, you should care about what local church they will join and be a member at. So let's come back to our definition of church membership again. A covenant commitment between believers to obey Christ's commands together. I want to show you this morning that that definition is absolutely biblical. Through and through. And again, you're going to say, wait a moment. What do you mean by biblical? Pastor Aubrey, are you doing a nacho here? <laughs> there is no command that I remember that says, thou shalt become a member of the local church. Where is that? Is that in Aubrey 316? I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. But we have to be clear what we mean when we say that something is biblical. For example, the word trinity is not in the Bible. Neither is the word incarnation. The, the fact that the Son of God became flesh to save us. You know, you can talk with Muslim friends. I hope that you talk with your Muslim friends about Jesus. And, and even as you talk with them, they will often challenge us concerning the deity of Christ. And sometimes you'll hear this objection. They'll say, show me the verse where Jesus says, I am God. And I'll say, well, it's every verse in the New Testament. Right? Uh, where, show me where the Trinity is in the Bible. Well, it's the whole Bible. 
We believe and hold these crucial doctrines in the Christian life by looking into the scriptures and seeing that although the word may not be used there or there may not be a particular verse, the concept is clearly taught and implied on every page. And likewise, what I want to submit to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is that the concept of church membership is biblical in this sense. It, I don't mean just names on a list. I mean Christians living in committed covenant relationship with one another. That's everywhere in the New Testament. Christians committed to meeting together, loving and serving one another, growing together as disciples of Jesus. That's on every page. In fact, it's so ubiquitous that, uh, you know, maybe you do not realize this, but we have this in our statement of faith. Our statement of faith here at ECC, which you signed if you became a member, actually defines a local church like this. It says this, the local church is a congregation of believers united by a covenant of faith and fellowship of the gospel. So where's that in scripture? Where's that in the Bible? I want you to consider four arguments with me, all right? Four arguments why you should be a member of the local church. First, consider the biblical images for the church. Consider the images that the New Testament uses to describe the church. First, we could think of the word flock. The image of a flock. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says to the elders of the church, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Paul, speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. And, and when you think of a flock, when you think of that image of sheep together out in the pastures, you think of uh, a shepherd and you think of a clear definition and shape of a particular flock, that these are the sheep who belong to this flock. And they graze together, and, and there are shepherds who oversee them. That's a biblical image. Here's one that we are even more familiar with. Maybe you've never been out on the fields and looked at sheep, but this is one that you all know. It's the image of family, right? So Ephesians chapter 2 that I read earlier says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The word household there means family. And when we are united to Christ, when we are born again and brought into his kingdom, we become part of a family. And we're united to other family members. And if you think of earthly families, you know your family. You know who uh, every member of your family is. Even families with a large number of kids, say someone has 11 kids, they know who the kids are. You don't have random kids strolling in and out of the house, right? And eating at the table and saying, I belong to this family. You know the members of your family. You know who your household is. Here's uh, another New Testament image, the third one here, is that of a building or temple. Building. Think of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter says, You come to him, that is Christ, as a living, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw this a couple of weeks ago that the church is God's dwelling place. That the temple of old is now fulfilled in Christ and His church. He is the cornerstone and we are living stones being built up together into this dwelling place for God. And that implies a kind of structure that holds everything together, that we are bound together as one, as his people. And then probably the image that you should be most familiar with that we heard our sister Gray read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12, the image of body. Of body, where in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, speaking to the local church in Corinth, says this. He says, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And in verse 27, it says, So you, speaking to the church, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. When we are united, to Christ, He is our head. We become part of His body and there's a living, vital union that we have with Him and thereby with each other. Here's a final image, that of kingdom. Kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus speaking to Peter says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And in the next verse, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And, and some people think that that uh, you know, authority refers to different things. What does it mean to bind things on earth that shall be bound in heaven, or loose things on earth that shall be loosed in heaven? Well, it's referring to the authority, the use of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, and here Jesus is giving this to Peter right after speaking about the church, uh, people have taken that to say, well, Peter was the first pope and therefore the pope has this authority. But if you keep reading the Gospel of Matthew, you come to chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew, where in chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, Jesus gives this authority to the church, to all disciples. And he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gives the church the authority to use the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, and in Matthew 18, what does that mean? He's talking about church discipline there, putting people out of the church, treating them as a Gentile and tax collector. In other words, Jesus is authorizing the church on earth, local churches on earth, to act with the authority of the kingdom of heaven. So local churches, every faithful gospel-preaching local church is like an embassy of the heavenly kingdom on earth. And so when we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we go to these local churches and our church membership, our membership in the local church is like a passport. You can be a citizen of a particular country and not have a passport and you have no evidence that you are a citizen of the kingdom. But church membership is that affirmation of the local church that you are one of us, that you're a citizen of Emmanuel's land of the heavenly kingdom as we sang. So when we think about all those images, that's what the New Testament puts forward. But I want to ask you, what do you think of when you think of church? If I say the word church, do you maybe think of some famous celebrity pastor or preacher, your favorite one? Or maybe you think of a big building, just the building itself. 
Here's one that might be more common. Maybe when I say church, the first thing that comes to your mind is a darkened room and a well-lit stage. But here's one that's probably the most common. Maybe when I say church, you think of your particular small group or ministry that you serve in. I want to say, friends, that's not what the New Testament teaches. These images of the New Testament beautifully set forth for us what the church is. And sometimes, you know, we get hung up. People will say, well, aren't I a member of the universal church? When I, when I got saved, I became a, a member of the heavenly assembly, the universal church. I, I belong to the church across the world. But we would, we would say that the New Testament speaks of local churches in particular places. And that the universal church, which is invisible, becomes visible on earth through these local churches. The heavenly assembly of all believers, past, present, and, and across the world, becomes visible in earthly assemblies of believers, in localized bodies of Christ that gather in each place. And so we become members of local churches to reflect our membership in the universal church. I want you to think what these images imply on the flip side of neglecting what the New Testament is saying here. I mean, have you ever seen a sheep all alone in a field by itself? We, we think of sheep, we think of a flock. We think of sheep that are grazing together, that are overseen by a shepherd. You, you see a sheep wander out all by itself into the woods. It's going to be attacked by wolves. It's not safe. Or, or imagine, this is a funny one, imagine, you know, one brick all by itself on the side of the road, right, on the sidewalk. And you walk up and you see just this brick sitting by itself. That's not a building. That's not a temple. Or here's one that you might find actually harder. It's more emotional, especially for some of you. Think of a man or a woman who leaves his family or her family and is completely cut off from them and never talks to any family members for years. All by themselves, living alone. If that's hard, think of this. Think of a finger or a hand or an eyeball separated from a body, chopped off, plucked out, and just lying by itself somewhere here on the ground. That's pretty gross, isn't it? What would, what would happen to a limb or, or an eye separated from the body like that? It would wither up and die. Or think of a citizen of a nation in a foreign land with no passport. Friends, when we come to our Lord Jesus Christ, when we, by the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, believe in Him and trust in Him, we become united to Him. There's a living, vital union between the believer and Christ and thereby between believers in Christ with each other. By union with Jesus that we enjoy and will, will enjoy for all eternity as our head, we are united with his body and we live out that union through our membership in the local church. And maybe you're here this morning and you've not, never been united to Christ. You've never known uh, the uh, living relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to call you and invite you today that, that you can be saved from your sin. You can be part of the family of God. 
You can turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You see, all of us are sinners. None of us deserve to be a part of this family. But Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, shed His blood, took upon Himself the penalty for sin that we deserve, so that whoever repents of sin and believes in Him, trusts in Him, will have His death as their own death. And his life as their life. You can be forgiven of sin and have eternal life today. And become a part of Jesus' family by repenting from sin and trusting in him. And any of us would love to talk with you more about that after this service is over. So that's our first major argument for church membership. The biblical images for the church. The second major argument for biblical church membership is the one another commands that we see in Scripture. The one another commands of the New Testament. The New Testament is very clear that the Christian life is not something that we do on our own. We have a personal relationship and walk with the Lord, but never private. Our faith is personal but not private. We are always called to live out our faith in accountability and in relationships with other believers in Christ. And we could spend a whole sermon series for several weeks on the one another commands of the New Testament, but I'm going to group them into three sets of commands this morning. The first set is the commands of the New Testament to love and to serve one another. To love and serve one another. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about what's going on there. This is the Son of God himself who has washed the feet of his disciples in John chapter 13, who is about to go to the cross where he will hang naked and ashamed and bleed under the wrath of God for our sins to save his people. And he is speaking to his disciples and saying this, the love that you see me have for you, the love that you see demonstrated here in this foot washing at the cross is the love that you must have for one another. And that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. We see this all over the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household family of faith. Or think of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verses 13, 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. You know, I saw a beautiful picture of this last month. Uh, there was this picture on social media of one of the members of our church, our sister Jenilyn Espinosa. And uh, it's a picture of her in the hospital holding a baby uh, with a big toothy smile filled with joy. And many would look at that picture not knowing the background and think this is a mother with her newborn child. But it wasn't. It was a picture of Jenlin in the hospital, 
right after she suffered her third miscarriage, holding the baby of her sister, her fellow member of ECC, Catherine, this baby was born the same weekend. And there's a beauty and glory to that, friends, that only the gospel can create. You know, June Carlo and Jenlyn told me, that's, that's because we, you know, what happens to us is not preeminent. It's that we are to love and rejoice with our fellow members. Friends, that's church membership in action. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Weeping with those who weep. You see, when Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us, he's talking about love with commitment. Love with sacrifice. Love that puts another's interest above your own. Love that lays aside your own interest and gives oneself up to serve and love others. You know, love without commitment, love without sacrifice. The world has that kind of love. That doesn't speak of the power of the gospel. But love that looks at your brothers and sisters in Christ and says, I'm with you in this. In good times and in bad. In sickness and in health. For richer or poorer. For better or for worse. In the hospital. I'm with you. That kind of love, brothers and sisters, that kind of love displays the power of Christ. That kind of love says to the world, we are his disciples. And these passages, dear friends, are written to all Christians, not just to a few spiritual Christians, not just to pastors of local churches. They're written to every believer in Christ. This is how we are to live with one another. Love and serve one another. Now you might hear that and you might object and say, well, why do we need local church membership for that? I, am full, I can fulfill that command with all Christians in the world, can't I? Everybody everywhere. Maybe. But let's look at another set of commands in the New Testament. Second set of one another commands are the commands to gather and grow one another. Not only must we love and serve one another, but we must gather and grow one another. You're familiar with Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. We talked about this last week, which tells us that we ought to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So judgment day is coming. We're going to stand before Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, and our judge one day. How do you prepare for that day? Gather together with other Christians. Make it a commitment. Encourage one another and prepare each other for that day. Or think of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about the growth of the body of Christ. And he begins in verse 11 by speaking of the, the gift of pastors, teachers. Why, why does Jesus, the risen Christ, appoint pastors over his church? It's to equip the saints, that is Christians, to do the work of ministry. What is that ministry? It's the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of the church. And, and in verses 15 and 16, Paul says... Speak the truth in love. Therefore, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you catch that? The body is responsible to make the body grow. When every part contributes and is working properly, when every joint is doing what it's supposed to, we build each other up and build ourselves up. 
In other words, we are responsible for one another's growth. You're not just responsible for your own spiritual growth. You're responsible for growth in the lives of other Christians. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, are you laboring to see other Christians grow? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to see that God's plan is not just all about your individual growth, your personal Christian life. But maybe God is calling you to invest yourself in the lives of others, to seek the growth of other Christians in a committed way. And then those who are weaker will be strengthened and God will be glorified through you. And guess what? As you help others grow, what's going to happen? You're going to grow. So we see the New Testament calls us to love and serve one another. It tells us that we must be committed to gathering together and growing one another. But the New Testament goes one step further. Not only must we love and serve one another, gather together and grow one another, but we must also guard and goad one another. By goad, I mean spur each other on, give, give each other a little poke. You know, one pastor says, living the Christian life without church membership is like driving on the highway at night without headlights. Is it possible to drive on the highway at night without headlights? You drive on Sheikh Zayed Road at 140 kilometers an hour in the night without headlights? Is that possible? It's certainly possible. It's very, very dangerous and maybe even foolish, pretty foolish. And it's the same with church membership. It is possible to live the Christian life without church membership, but it's also very dangerous. Think of what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author says again in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, he says, See to it that no one, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, we are all susceptible to being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The Christian life is hard. We are all in danger of falling away. We are prone to wander. We are all in danger of not finishing the race. And we need one another to guard one another and goad one another to make it to the end. We cannot say like Cain... Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your sister's keeper. Yes, you are responsible not only that you make it to the end, but we are responsible for each other to help one another make it to the end, to help one another persevere. And so a question that naturally arises then when the New Testament speaks like this is, well, who am I responsible for? Am I responsible for all the Christians in Abu Dhabi? All the Christians in the UAE, all the Christians in the world, some Christian that I meet on a flight somewhere that I've never talked with before, am I responsible to help them make it to the end? Can I even possibly conceivably do that when I never meet them? No, friends, it's a particular group of Christians in a particular context 
with whom you have made a particular commitment in covenant, and that's called church membership. We make a committed covenant to fulfill these one another commands together to grow in Christ and guard one another. You see, all through the Bible, from beginning to end, committed relationships are always made through covenant. God's relationship with his people, with his creatures, is always defined in terms of covenant. That's a committed relationship of loyal love with obligations. And that's what church membership is. The, the only way to fulfill these one another commands is through a committed covenant relationship with one another. If you look at ECC's church covenant, you should read that regularly. It's all biblical language. And these are the one another commands of the New Testament that we have committed to fulfill in one another's lives. By the way, this is why membership is so important in a transient context. You know, I often get this question, well, here in Abu Dhabi, we're in a transient context. You know, we're here for a short assignment, one year, two years, we come and we go. Uh, do we really need membership in a transient context? And I would say, as the famous evangelical leader John Stott once said, absolutely, church membership is all the more important in a transient context. Right? When you think of your home context, maybe, you know, your city back home, your home country, you already have a network of relationships present. You have people, family members maybe, others who knew you in the community, who check in on you, who recognize you when you go out. But then you move to a place like Abu Dhabi as an expat. You're out here on your own, uh, distant from family and friends, tempted with various and diverse sins. That's why you need a family who's going to guard you. That's, that's where you need people who will be there for you in a crisis. But you don't know when that's going to come. You know, one of the saddest and most heartbreaking and difficult experiences that we have as pastors that I've had over several years here is when I'm called into the hospital of someone who uh, claims to follow Christ, who has said that they're a Christian, and they're kind of, you know, struggling and maybe dying and they've never been part of a church. And I've been by the bedside of people in that condition who are getting ready to meet Jesus Christ, the judge, the Lord. And there's no one else there in the hospital until we showed up at the 11th hour. Now, I just contrast that with the case of our brother Lamuel Bashir, him and his wife Sarah moved here in uh, 2019. Very quickly, uh, after a couple of months, became members of this congregation of ECC. And then a few months after that, Lamuel was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. All of a sudden, he was a brilliant researcher in PhD in geophysics. And now their lives were turned upside down. And he suffered and struggled with that for a year. And the last two months of Lamuel's life, he was in Burjil Hospital, room 526B, and 24-7, day and night, there were members of this congregation from so many different nationalities, not just Pakistani like Lamuel, but many different nations constantly visiting them, 
singing hymns in his hospital room, holding his hand and praying with him, caring and serving Sarah, his wife. And as, as Lemuel entered the presence of the Lord, as he died, he was surrounded by members of ECC singing together, it is well with my soul. And, and all of the doctors and nurses in Bujil Hospital uh, were wondering, who is this guy in, in room 526B? And, and why is he so important that all day long, there are all of these people from different nationalities visiting him and spending time with him? I'll tell you who he was. You know who is this guy? He was a covenant member of the body of Christ at ECC. He, he, he was not just him, he was us. And his sorrows and his pain was our sorrow and our pain. Friends, that's church membership in action. We need one another. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And that's our second argument there for biblical church membership. We've seen the biblical images of the church. We've seen the one another commands of the New Testament. And then very quickly, I'll take you through two more arguments. Church membership is clearly implied in the New Testament by the biblical command and practice of church discipline. We are commanded to guard one another. And the way that Jesus tells us to do that is through the practice of church discipline. We'll have a whole other sermon on this in a few weeks. But you see, church discipline is closely related to church membership. They are two sides of the same coin. They both go together. You can't practice church discipline as Jesus commands if you don't have church membership. I mean, think of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. You know, there's an escalating process, verses 15 to 20, an escalating process of confronting sin. First it's one-on-one, then it's with witnesses. And the person still doesn't listen. Jesus says, verse 17, if he refuses to listen... Tell it to the church. Now, I've done a study of that passage in the original language. And let me tell you a little secret here. The word church there in the original Greek, you know what it means? It means church. Right? It, it means church, the assembly of God's people. Right? And, and Jesus gives authority there to the church, which is the assembly to enact church discipline, to put someone out of the church, right? Which implies that there's a defined membership that is called the church and that someone can be actually put out of it. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5. He's talking about a case of scandalous immorality. At the end of that passage, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And, and so we see there, Paul is clearly assuming a line that demarcates those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church. And that line, dear friends, is the covenant commitment called church membership. And that's our third argument for church membership being in the Bible. We've looked at biblical images, we looked at the one another commands, we have the practice of church discipline. And the final argument for church membership, I would say, is the biblical role and responsibility of elders. The responsibility of elders. You see, not only does the New Testament command believers to commit to one another, Scripture also commands believers to submit to particular leaders who will keep watch over their souls. And it says that these leaders will be held accountable 
for God's sheep. Think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Or Acts 20, again, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders of that church, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Passages like this have clear implication for leaders of God's church. As an elder of this church, as a shepherd of this flock, these passages tell me that one day I will stand before my Savior, my Lord, my Judge, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I will have to give an answer to him for the sheep that he purchased with his blood. I will have to answer to him for whether I loved them, I will have to answer to him for whether I prayed for them. I will have to answer to him for whether I was faithful in teaching them, teaching you. All of the elders of this church will have to give that answer, will have to give that account. Friends, that's what keeps me up at night. That's what keeps me on my knees before the Lord every day. That's why we pray through this membership directory. I seek to pray through a page every day. Our every elders meeting begins with one hour of praying for the members of this church by name. Every week our staff begins the week by praying for the members of this church by name. Because we will give an account to Jesus. And and here's the question then, if elders are to give an account, who for whom are we giving an account? Who are we responsible for? Who is that flock that God has appointed us as shepherds over? And the answer is defined by this. It's those who have committed themselves to this body, who have committed themselves to our care. And the same question applies to you, right? Dear Christian, the Bible tells you that you must obey your leaders and submit to them. They keep watch over your souls as those who would have to give an account that they should do this with joy and not groaning. So the question for you, dear Christian, is who is that speaking of? Who are the leaders whom God is calling you, commanding you to obey and submit to? Is it your favorite internet preacher? You know, I, that I'm such a blessing of so many great preachers whose sermons we can download and listen to. But, but here's one thing I can guarantee. I don't think your favorite internet preacher knows your name. And I can guarantee he's not praying for you by name. Why do we seek to know you by name? Because Jesus has appointed us to watch over your souls. Who, who, who are you supposed to? Are you going to obey and submit to your pastor back home? And praise God for that pastor in your life, whomever he, uh, you know, the, the Lord placed him in your life for a season, and I'm sure God has used him in your life in great ways. But can he keep watch over your soul while you're away from here, there, and not really meeting him regularly? He's not able to keep watch over your life while you live here. No, friends, the, the command there in Hebrews 13 implies that you are to submit yourself to the leaders of a particular local church through church membership. 
and that your posture towards those leaders is to be one of trust and joyful obedience and submission to their authority that you would make their life a joy. And so we ask you, make our life a joy because we care for you, we love you, and the Holy Spirit puts this love in our hearts towards you that we want to watch over your souls. So you see why church membership is necessary. It establishes this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. It, it clearly helps us fulfill in covenant the one another commands of the New Testament, clearly implied by those. It helps us obey Jesus faithfully in guarding the holiness of the church through church discipline. And it is clearly implied by every biblical image of the church. And you might respond and say, okay, I want to do all that, I love that, but why do we have all these particular structures? It sounds too rigid for me to have a formal membership list and membership directory and all of those things. But consider other committed relationships in your life, right? I mean, imagine going to ADCB Bank and saying, hey, I want to invest some money here. And they say, oh yeah, we'd love for you to join us, invest your funds but we value uh, authentic relationships with our clients and, and we don't really like too much rigidity and formality and so we're not going to give you an account number, we're not going to give you any paperwork, you just give us your money and we'll take care of it. Or, or, or think of another committed relationship, think of uh, your relationship with your embassy and you go and say, hey, you know, I'm a citizen here, I, I would like a re to renew my passport and they say, ah, you know, yeah, we recognize that you're a citizen, of course, you were born in our nation, but we don't really want to do all of that paperwork, you know, and, and we don't think all of that documentation and structure is actually helpful. You're a citizen, go and be blessed, no need for a passport. Or, as is very, very common in the world today, right, think of People who say, well, we love one another and we just want to be together and celebrate our love. But marriage is just a piece of paper. Who needs that documentation? We're just going to live out our love by moving in together. Friends, structures create commitment. So if you're here and you're not a member of ECC, maybe you've been attending, you're here every week for years, and you've never thought of becoming a member. I've tried to show you that this is a gift and a grace from God, and it's biblical. So what's causing that resistance? What's behind that hesitation, even now? What's going on in your heart, dear friend? Why the anonymity? Why not joyfully receive this beautiful gift? that will help you follow Jesus. And I want to speak to our members here this morning. I want to speak to the kids here this morning. This is the body of Christ. Dear members, brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. We are his family. You know, one pastor says, and I wholly agree with this, that apart from the Bible, the Bible is the most important book in a Christian's life. But next to your Bible, the most important book in a believer's life is your church's membership directory. Because these are the sheep for whom Jesus shed his blood, with whom you are going to walk together so that you and they finally make it home. I love the wisdom of older pastors, and this is a dear brother who has shepherded the same congregation for 35 years. Bob Johnson, know him personally, love this brother. He says this, 
Church membership is not primarily for recruiting volunteers to make ministries run better. Church membership is a commitment to help one another make it to heaven. So do I have a hidden agenda or some hidden motive in calling you to church membership? Well, I do have an agenda, I confess, but it's not hidden. I want you to have the joy, grace, and privilege of brothers and sisters, a family of faith who will help you and me make it to heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great gift and grace of membership in the body of Christ. May we embrace it, Lord. May we live it out meaningfully with one another for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.